So in November of 1917, in the heart of World War I, the Egyptian expeditionary force of the British was pursuing the Ottoman Turks as they retreated across the deserts of Palestine. As the EEF pursued the Turkish army across the desert near Beersheba, they got ahead of their supply train and they had to leave the camels behind. The camels, of course, carried their entire water supply. And so in an effort to track down the fleeing Turks, they pressed on, but the water ran out. And the soldiers of the EEF began to experience extreme dehydration. Their mouths dried out, their heads pounded, they grew dizzy and, and began to faint. And as the trek across the desert turned into days, their lips began to swell and turn purple. Mirages became very common among them. And eventually the soldiers began to die of thirst. And they knew that if they didn't reach water by the end of the day, their entire army could be wiped out from thirst. Unfortunately for them, the closest water source was located at the wells of Sharia. And that was exactly where the Turkish army had retreated and fortified within. And so they knew that the fight of their lives was going to be ahead of them. Now, today in part six of our sermon series on the king and his kingdom, we are going to be studying Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, which is the central beatitude. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so as you're turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, for your encouragement, for your truth. Lord, we praise you that you are faithful, that you love us with steadfast love, Lord. And I thank you and praise you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to hear from your truth and be transformed by it. And so, Father, I yield myself to you, that you would speak through me. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and you would transform us, you would draw us closer to you, Lord, to be more like Jesus. That's in his name we pray, amen. Now, I'm just gonna lay my cards out on the table for you guys, all right? I believe that this beatitude that we're about to study is the most important beatitude, especially when it comes to discipleship. This is the most important one. Because if we want to understand discipleship under Christ, we have to understand what Jesus is saying here in this beatitude. Because remember, this sermon is really just Jesus as a rabbi giving his yoke, his teaching to all of his disciples. And in the Beatitudes in particular, but in the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is explaining the transformation that his disciples undergo through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God as they follow him more closely as their master. 
And this fourth beatitude about hungering and thirsting for righteousness is really the epitome of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This really just is the heart of it. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, 6 in terms of discipleship because it is about discipleship, and we're going to break it down into three sections. We're going to look at the progression of discipleship, the pursuit of discipleship, and the payoff of discipleship. So first, we look at the progression of discipleship. The first thing that we need to understand is how these Beatitudes really build on one another. As we've seen in this sermon series, each beatitude is kind of a building block for the next. It kind of builds one after the other. So in the first beatitude, in poverty of spirit, we saw that we are emptied of all of our inclination to self-justification. And in mourning over our sin, we are emptied of our desire for self-satisfaction. And in meekness, we are emptied of our craving for self-serving and self-promotion. And so, instead of relying on our own power, we learn through the third beatitude to submit to God and His control. That's what meekness is all about. So, we see in the first three beatitudes, we can kind of group them. The first three beatitudes are all about emptying. There's an emptying of self going on. But then comes the fourth beatitude in Matthew 5, 6, and there's a turn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There's no emptying here. Instead, there's filling. There's satisfaction. See, the progression of discipleship to Christ involves first being emptied so that we can then be filled But the progression doesn't end there. The final four Beatitudes, which we can, again, we can group together, they are all about pouring out. So we pour out mercy and being pure of heart and being peacemakers and ultimately being persecuted for the righteousness that pours out of us. And we're going to break those four Beatitudes down, Lord willing, over the next month. But today, we want to look at the pinnacle. We have emptying, and we've been studying that, and then there is filling and ultimately pouring, but we have to understand now the filling, because the emptying is purposeless, and the pouring won't happen unless there's filling, filling with the righteousness of God. And this is why Jesus puts this directly in the center. It is the central. It is the peak, the pinnacle. This is what everything else leads to. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. This beatitude is a statement to which all the others lead. It is the logical conclusion to which they come, and it's something for which we should all be profoundly thankful and grateful to God. I don't know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of Scripture, you can be quite certain that you are a Christian. If, if it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. 
See, the reality is that while we have to discover the depths of our need for God, which is what the emptying is all about, we can't be paralyzed by our need for God. Because if we stay paralyzed by our need for God, then there's no pursuit of God. There's just a woe is me, I am dust, I am dirt, I am nothing mentality. And that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to recognize our need for him, but then to be moved to the place of seeking him and being filled by him. And that's what this beatitude is all about. And that's why it is such a central statement for the Christ follower. And the reason why and how we get there is in understanding what it means to hunger and to thirst for righteousness, or maybe put a little bit differently, what it means to passionately pursue discipleship under Christ. So that's the progression of discipleship, the progression of these beatitudes, and now we want to look at the pursuit of discipleship. What does it mean to pursue being discipled by Christ? And so we need to understand what it means to hunger and thirst because that's really what it's all about. What does it mean to hunger and to thirst? Now, I would imagine that most of us living in this country don't know what it truly means to be hungry or thirsty. Some of us probably do. But most of us, I don't think, do. The Greek here describes a state of hungering and thirsting as if your life depended on it. And dying from lack of starvation and lack of water was a very real thing in the ancient times when Jesus was preaching this sermon, especially in Palestine where it's a dry and arid land and water was as valuable as gold. But for us, we have wells and faucets and supermarkets and soup kitchens and all of these things help us stay well-fed and well-watered. So it's hard for us to really grasp the gravity of what Jesus is getting at here. It's a good thing that we're so well-provided for, praise God for that, but it, 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 it helps us, it doesn't help us to understand this analogy very well. Some of us might have had circumstances where we do. For me, some of you know that from uh, middle school up through college, I was a wrestler. And so I wrestled, and if you know anything about wrestling, you know that there are specific weight classes that you have to fit into, you have to make the weight for to be able to wrestle. And so most competitive wrestlers are trying to lean down to get to a lower weight, hopefully in healthy ways, but typically in unhealthy ways. I spent many a day just spitting in a cup before a match to make weight, which is kind of disgusting. Sorry to put that image in your head. But you tried to get as lean as possible to wrestle guys who were lighter than you, who you were stronger than, so you could do better. That's the whole idea. But if you know anything about the wrestling season, you also know that it covers over Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, if your families have any Thanksgiving or Christmas celebrations like my family, there is food everywhere. 
And so for about 15 years of my life, I had to sit at the Thanksgiving dinner table and the Christmas dinner table and just watch everyone else eat all of the delicious food. Now, mind you, in the middle of wrestling season, it's a feast if you have a grapefruit and a rice cake with some pita butter on it, all right? That's like a big deal. And there was the turkey, and there was the stuffing, and all of the fixings just right there. And I would, I would go up, and I would just sniff it, just, just hoping that the smell of it would somehow fill me, Right? Of course, my family, they were extremely understanding of this whole situation. Yeah. 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 My dad would eat the turkey and just exclaim over and over, "How oh, this is so good, Matthew. And he'd dangle, you sure you don't want any of this? Yeah, here you go. Here, have some cranberry. Here, have some, oh, have some pumpkin pie. I hated my dad in those moments. <laughs> um, so for me, that was my experience of just grasping maybe a little bit what it means to really be hungry for something, to really have a, a longing that's from deep within you that you just long to have satisfied. And that's what Jesus is driving at here in this passage. To hunger and to thirst in this passage means to be completely consumed by the object of your desire. So much so that you will literally perish if the all-consuming need isn't met. That's what it means to hunger and thirst. It overwhelms you. And the psalmist wrote about this same thing. In Psalm 63, it says, Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's what it means to hunger and thirst. But what, what is the object of that consuming desire supposed to be. Jesus isn't trying to play hide the ball here. He just tells us straight out. We are to hunger and thirst for what? Let me, I want to hear you. I want to hear you right now. Righteousness, right? We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness, making sure you're awake. The passionate pursuit of the disciple of Christ is the passionate pursuit of righteousness. Now, if you're anything like me, you, you hear that term, righteousness, and you say, okay, that's good. I'm supposed to really, really want righteousness. What, well, that like, is one of those church words that people talk about, like, oh, I want to be righteous. Well, you know, the Bible says that. Jesus spoke like that. And in that culture, Jewish culture in particular, that was a regularly discussed thing. But for us, it's like, no one walks around like, hey, I'm pursuing righteousness. How about you, you know? It's just, so what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, there are really three layers of meaning for righteousness. And one proceeds to the next. So we need to understand these three layers. 
So the first layer of meaning, and really the foundational layer of meaning, is to be in right standing before God. That I am in right standing before God. That I am not at war with God anymore. And this only comes, there's only one way to be made right before God, and that's through submission by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our righteousness, 1 Corinthians 1.30. And through faith, we can receive right standing with God. That's what we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper, what Jesus did for us on the cross. He took the punishment that we deserve so that we can be made right with God. And he didn't just die and stay dead. He rose again to life and invited us to become princes and princesses of the king of the universe. That's a pretty cool thing. Jesus Christ is our righteousness, and we're blessed when we passionately pursue knowing him more deeply. Submitting to him. And this is why this beatitude, more than any other, has discipleship fully in view. We're to passionately pursue Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And pursuing Jesus and submitting to Jesus means being his disciple. That's what discipleship is. And as we go through the process of submitting to Christ... Not only will we desire more of Christ, but we'll desire to be like Christ more and more. Do we understand there is a difference between those two things? If all I do walking around saying, Jesus, I want more of you, and then I just go and live my life how I want, I'm, I'm not getting it. There's a disconnect. But the more I desire Christ, if that's genuine and true, that will also develop within me a desire to be like Christ, and that is the second meaning of the word righteousness. That we live rightly before God. And really, this meaning, this second meaning, is the primary meaning that Jesus has in view in this beatitude. How do I know that? Well... As we've been learning through this series, every rabbi expected his disciples to imitate him and be like him in every possible way. And Jesus is no different. He is a Jewish rabbi. And so he desires that his disciples, and not just the ones sitting there at the Sermon on the Mount, but every single one of us who says that we have bowed the knee to the king, he means us too. Every single one of us, he is calling to hunger and thirst to be like him, to be holy like him and set apart like him, to live lives of righteousness. This is why Jesus says in just a couple verses in verse 10 that when we live righteously, there's going to be persecution. Why? Because a righteous lifestyle will fly in the face of the lifestyle that the world says that we should live. The word righteousness in verse 10 is the same word. 
And then a little later on in verse 20, Jesus says that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes and Pharisees, they were all hypocrites who all they cared about was following the letter of the law. They cared nothing of the essence of the law, of loving others. And their righteousness was like filthy rags because it wasn't really righteousness. It was just following rules that looked nothing like our holy God. And then later on in the next chapter, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. In a lot of ways, the Sermon on the Mount is about righteousness, about living our lives like Jesus, about following and submitting to our rabbi and learning to do that more and more. So hungering and thirsting for righteousness not only entails passionately pursuing Jesus himself so that we have right standing before God, but it also entails seeking to be like Jesus and living rightly before God. But there's a third one. There's a third one. Finally, righteousness also entails seeking the justice of God for this world. It means passionately pursuing justice for the glory of God and for the sake of furthering the gospel. Now, I qualify it because justice that doesn't flow from a desire to bring glory to God or to proclaim Jesus Christ is empty. And lots of organizations do that, but it's empty of its transformational power because it doesn't have Jesus at the center and it's not righteous justice. Righteous justice is meant to hold up the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to tell the world about him, amen? So we've got to see that righteousness is all three of these things. And in this passage especially, especially it's really the second one, right living before God. So a paraphrase of this beatitude could go something like this. Blessed are those who passionately pursue submission to Jesus, being like him in every way, and seeing his justice go forth for the glory of God as if their lives depended upon it. And you know, as I've been studying this this week, I've been extremely convicted because I don't live like that all the time. I mean, anyone, anyone here live like that all the time? I'm jealous of you. I want, Lord, help me to be like that person. And that's hard. And, and if we're not careful, we can hear this stuff and we can start beating ourselves up and we can do what the Pharisees did and start making it about some moral standard that I have to live by. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. You know what has been extremely comforting as I've been studying this this week? Is knowing that Jesus knows and understands my shortcomings. And he is helping me through the power of the Holy Spirit to become more like him and even to want to become more like him. 
I mean, praise God for his grace and mercy in our lives. Amen? Praise God that he knows and he will help us. This isn't something that we need to be discouraged because we fall short. This is something where we say, Lord Jesus, help me to hunger and thirst for you more. Help me to pursue being like you in every way. Help me to see your justice go forth for your glory and for the sake of the gospel. So don't be discouraged if you don't think that you hunger and thirst for God enough. Just ask him to help you. Ask him to give you even the desire to want to do that. You might be thinking, I don't even know if I want that. Ask him to give you the desire to want it. You got to mean it. (laughs) I mean, you can't just be like, you know, just say words that are empty. But if you don't want that, I don't know why you're here. I mean, at least want to want it, you know? Because when we do that, Psalm 34, 8 says that we will be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord desires that we should passionately pursue him as his disciples, and he will help us to do so. Neil Cole, he wrote this, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. I don't want our church to be a bad church. I want our church to be a church who loves Jesus and is pursuing him as his disciples. I've been called to spur us on, myself included, to radical obedience to our Savior and King. That's what God put me here for. And that radical obedience is called discipleship. And that's what this is all about. That's what God will bless. And so I want to put forth four things that we can learn about discipleship from this beatitude that we can ask the Lord to help us with as we passionately seek after him. Number one, discipleship is not an option, it's a necessity. If you don't have food and water, what happens? You die. Righteousness is the necessity of spiritual life. Just as we can't survive without food and water, so we cannot survive spiritually without the righteousness of God. And so if we aren't seeking after Christ as if our life depends on it, we will die spiritually as we're suffocated by the comforts, pleasures, lies, and deceptions of this world. That's what's going to happen. But secondly, discipleship is not for the uncommitted. God's grace is not cheap. There is no such thing as cheap grace. 
There is no such thing as fence sitting. We can't just kind of like Jesus and think that he's a good dude and believe that he died for me but not really follow him. It doesn't work that way. Being a Christian doesn't mean that I have a get out of hell free card. I I can't just go and live how I want. Passionately pursuing Jesus means learning to become more and more like him through radical obedience to our master and king. Dallas Willard said, the assumption today is that we can be Christians forever and never become disciples. But the reality is that if we aren't seeking to be a better disciple of Jesus all the time, then we probably don't understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. We've we've misunderstood something. Or, sadly, we've been mistaught what the gospel is which unfortunately happens in churches all the time. But by God's grace, it will not happen in this church. We want to be disciples of the greatest rabbi who ever lived and passionately pursue him. It's not for the uncommitted. Number three, discipleship is not for the full It's for the empty. In the parallel passage in Luke, when Luke is talking about the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. The biggest hindrance to hungry pursuit of Jesus is the fleeting satisfaction we get with the things of this world. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I don't need to explain this. There are so many things out there to distract us from God. So many things that we can fill up on instead of the righteousness of God. And when we're full with something else, there's no room for the Holy Spirit. You ever try to fill up a A glass that was already full, what happens? Nothing. It's already full. You want to know why the Lord often leads us through dry, bleak places? Is to teach us to hunger and thirst for Him alone, to show us that the things in the world that we're fixating on do not satisfy. And he will help us to push aside the distractions of the world that keep us from wholeheartedly pursuing God. Number four, discipleship is an ongoing process. No one becomes a Christian and perfectly hungers and thirsts for God. In fact, I would submit that no one perfectly hungers and thirsts for God until we stand before him in heaven. (laughs) When the sin that racks our flesh is removed from us, there's always greater depths we can go. 
In the Greek here for hunger and thirst, the tense, it's in a continuous tense, right? Present participle. It just, it's always going. We are always to hunger and thirst. Always, 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 always. More, 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 Jesus. More, Jesus. More, God. Fill me more, Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing process. And as we grow as disciples of Jesus and learn to hunger and thirst after him more deeply, we're going to find ourselves doing things that draw us closer to God. It's just, that's what the Holy Spirit will lead us into. So we're going to find ourselves practicing spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and reading and memorizing scripture and, and worshiping the Lord unhindered. <laughs> One of my favorite things is to stand here with my brothers and sisters and raise my hands and worship my God. And I know some of us are a little uncomfortable and we just kind of stand and sing. Some of us are moving and, and bobbing. Some of us have our hands raised and our eyes closed. And that's good. That is good. I pray that we all continue to mature and grow, that we would be unencumbered by what people think around us and that we can just worship our God. It's going to mean things like engaging in more spiritual service inside and outside the church, especially outside the church. That's what the pouring is going to happen in the next four Beatitudes, and we're going to see that. It means that we're participating consistently in the fellowship of the body, in life groups, in getting to know others. It means that we are growing in our knowledge and understanding of spiritual truth as we meditate on the word of God and let it arrest our hearts and our minds. It means deepening in our desire for spiritual things and losing our taste for the things of the world. Overcoming temptation when it comes and learning to walk with spiritual eyes through the valleys and storms and the trials that we face, knowing that this isn't about this moment of difficulty. This is about a moment of refining that I might draw closer to my God. These are all marks that we're moving in the right direction as we pursue radical discipleship of our rabbi. And now in the final section of our teaching, we see that there is a beautiful payoff for the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Jesus says that we will be satisfied. This word in the Greek is used to describe the fattening of animals for eating and for sacrifice. It means to be so filled and overstuffed that what fills you virtually pours out of you. The interesting thing here is that this satisfaction leaves us continually desiring more. Well, how does that work? Well, it doesn't mean that we're not satisfied. It simply means that we are, we are so satisfied that we can't get enough. We want more, and I want more, God. This is, this is so good, I, I want more. That's what it is. How, how many of you here, how many of you here are, are sushi eaters? 
Got some sushi eaters here. How many of you here can't even stand the thought of sushi? <laughs> All right, about 50-50. Here we go. Well, my dad is really a meat and potatoes guy, so I hadn't even seen sushi until I got to college. And then when I got to college, all of the cool, like, hipster kids, they were eating sushi, you know, like, like the Pastor Austin types. <laughs> and so out of principle, I refused to have any of it. <laughs> Uh, but then, one day, a friend who I trusted grabbed a little salmon roll, and I was curious, and he said, have you ever had any? I said, no. Sushi. No. Raw fish, man. And he, he put a little soy sauce on and a little wasabi, and he said, just, just try it. And so I did. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. It, 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 just, it just popped with flavor. It, it was like giving my taste buds a revelation of the truth that they had been missing out on. My taste buds had been evangelized. <laughs> and they were hungry for more. <laughs> and since then, I've tried many kinds of sushi, and I don't typically even use soy sauce or wasabi anymore because I don't want to adulterate the pure taste of the manna from heaven. <laughs> the more sushi I've had, the more I enjoy it and the more of it that I desire. And I think righteousness is just like sushi. <laughs> In fact, if I ever have a sushi restaurant, I'm naming my favorite role Righteousness Roll. <laughs> the more we experience it, the more the Lord will satisfy us with himself. And we'll see him working in us and through us, and it will be glorious. My favorite thing in all the world is to see God moving in me and through me. When I walk away from a conversation and I can just praise my God because he spoke through me or spoke to me, thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that. I want more. That's how it works. Our job is to fervently seek righteousness and his job is to satisfy us. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And at the woman at the well in John chapter 4, Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this well water here will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will be, give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I don't know about you, but I want the water from the living well. And that brings us back to the Egyptian expeditionary force dying of thirst in the desert, trying to get to the wells of Sharia. 
And even though the Allied soldiers were exhausted and dying from dehydration and fighting against an enemy that had fortified, they fought like they had never fought before because they knew they were dead either way. They had a mindset where they were dead to the world no matter what, and so they just went for it. And they won. And they beat back the Turks from the wells, drove them out of Sharia, and for four hours, every man drunk his fill from the wells and was satisfied and refreshed for the next battle. And that's us. This fervent seeking after living water is exactly what the Lord blesses in us when we live dead to the world and desperately seek after his righteousness. No matter the obstacle, no matter the difficulty, no matter the pushback from the enemy, the Lord will give us the grace to seek him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He will give us the desire the overwhelming desire to be like him in every way and to see his justice go forth, if we would just ask him. Because Jesus has already won the war. He's already secured righteousness for us. And like my dad dangling the turkey out there, he's saying, here it is, come and get it, except we can take it and we can eat it. And it's glorious when we do so. Christ is freely offering the grace to live righteously, to be like him. Let's take it. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to empty us of ourselves and then fill us with a hunger and thirst for righteousness that we would be so satisfied, so overflowing, that we would pour out the light and love and truth and grace of God to all of those around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.